Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, we pray that you would open it to us, that you would show us who to serve, that you would show us where our comfort and security is found. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to share with you two of the sweetest words in modern English. These words, although they're not meant that way, sound to us pretty much like poetry. You ready for this? Beautiful words. Financial security. Financial security. Doesn't it just ring in your ears? What a beautiful thing that is. Such a thought to possess financial security, the security that allows us to possess all of the other things that our hearts desire. Financial security, not to worry anymore about money, to be free, liberated from that concern because we possess security. And then Jesus comes and teaches us a lesson about financial security. It's a lesson that God is often teaching to people. He's teaching it to people these days as well. You could learn a lot about financial security in our times by looking at the example of the Russian oligarchs. Depending on who you read, what news sources you follow, the hundred or so richest men in Russia have lost between 80 and $100 billion of their net worth since last month. And it's only getting worse. I don't know how many billions of your net worth you've ever lost, but that's a lot of net worth to lose. That's a lot less security here at the end of March than these guys possessed at the beginning of February. The lesson that they're learning is a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us here as well. Treasure on earth is never as secure as you think it is. No matter how much security you think you have financially, it can all be taken away. It can be eaten away, Jesus says. It can deteriorate. It can be stolen right out of your hands or out of your capital fund, depending on your circumstances. None of it is as certain as it seems. The beauty is ephemeral. 
The poetry, not so much. This is news to exactly no one. We all know this. None of us look at our bank accounts and think, that's going to take care of me. That's where my security will be found. And yet, although we know it, our hearts are set on treasure. Our hearts still serve money instead of serving our God. Or worse, we serve money in the name of our God. And Jesus says, stop. Stop serving money. Don't put your trust in money. Don't find your worth in money. Don't serve wealth. Because it can all be taken away. Now, our money problem, the challenge that we have with money, it's not about what you might think was like a bad investment strategy. Jesus isn't coming to you as your broker and saying, look, you're investing so much in this life. And the problem is that stuff, it's, it's impermanent. A better investment strategy would be to invest in the life to come, not on earth, but in heaven. And then your dividends would be greater. You would have a new imperishable investment. Jesus isn't saying these words to kind of reorient us financially so that we start using our money to invest in the life to come instead of in this life. I'm not saying that's a terrible thought, but it's not primarily the reason he's speaking to us. He wants to shake us up and he wants to point us to the heart problem that leads us to make this mistake, because that's what it is. Our money problem, it's a heart problem. Our money problem is a worship problem. Because money is security to us. Money is not just security, it's identity, it's self-worth. If you look at the way a lot of us relate to money, the honest truth is money is religion to us. We serve it. We do what has to be done in order to please it. The Greek word in our text, which is translated as, as money in verse 24 right at the end, is the Greek word mamona, which in older translations is translated literally with the word mammon, usually with a capital M. You cannot serve God and mammon. In a lot of Christian literature of old, you would find mammon with a capital M personified as a sort of villain, a a false god, a, a demon of greed, as a warning to us not to serve mammon. In the Book of Common Prayer, there is a prayer called For Every Man and His Work. This is the prayer that we used to recite in our Grace at Work events every time, and will again when we resume them. And in that prayer, we pray, deliver us from the service of mammon. Ironically, because we're praying for work. And we go to work in hope of getting paid a check. But despite the fact that we work for money in our prayer, we pray that God would deliver us, preserve us from working for money, from working in service to mammon. We don't use it much, but I think mammon is a helpful word to recover because it reminds us that money comes with strings attached and that treasure can be a threat to your heart. Think of it this way. Certainly in our day, although I don't think it's unique to us, we are a materialistic, a consumeristic culture where 
where how much money you have really determines the kind of life you get to live, the things that you will enjoy, the experiences that you can have are all directly tied to the amount of money that you have. Ours is a society whose idol is mammon that orients itself around the the rituals of serving mammon. You might say that mammon is our civic religion. The doctrine of mammon, the goodness of money, is so baked into our culture that we don't question it, that we assume even as Christians that it must be inherently good and not the threat to our hearts that Jesus makes it out to be. When Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, for a lot of us, that sounds strange that he would even combine those two things as if there were some sort of conflict. It's like hearing Jesus say something like you cannot serve God and the Holy Spirit because you're like, but Jesus, they go together. If I serve God, he blesses me. And the blessing that I'm hoping for is is monetary. If I serve God well, that he will bestow upon me the treasures that my heart longs for. I mean, isn't that, according to a lot of of churches, preachers today, isn't that the gospel? That if we serve him well, he will take care of us? That he will enrich us because we are his people? I know that sounds like a really specific kind of rebuke. Oh, he's talking about prosperity gospel. That's super bad. I'm so glad that that we are not tainted by that prosperity gospel, that we would never twist the gospel in that way. But I think Jesus is saying something that, that it affects us as much as it affects them. We might not say it out loud. None of us might dare to say, oh, if you serve God, he will make you rich. You know, I know my pastor is in the perfect will of God. He has a jet. Obviously, he's received blessings. That would be crass to us. It would be absurd. And yet, in in other ways, in smaller ways, we're guilty of thinking the same way, of hoping the same way. Oh, I know, God, I know you don't bless obedience with money as a general rule. But in my case, it would certainly be welcome. And so we mix these two masters together and we tell ourselves we might serve both. But the thing is, if you're relying on money for your security, you're not relying on God. That's what Jesus is saying. You can have God and have money, but you cannot serve money and serve God. It has to be one or the other. If you're relying on money, if you're trusting in it, if you're finding your worth in it, if you're serving it, then you do not have God. You have mammon for your God instead. When we talk about money, we talk about wealth, it's complicated. And it's easy for us to say what Jesus is saying here doesn't apply to us because we're not the 1%. But we're the 99% that Jesus is championing against those people who have too much money. But wealth takes many forms. Money is just the most obvious and literal form of wealth. There are other things that function as wealth for us. You might be rich in family, you might be rich in friends, 
You might have a small bank account, and yet you're rich in gifts and talents, abilities that a millionaire could never dream of possessing. There are certain things you just can't buy with money, and yet they do constitute a value of wealth. You may possess what we call social capital to make up for the absence of literal capital. All of these things can be mammon to us. All of these forms of wealth have something in common. They give us a position in life. They're a reason for people to take us seriously, to respect us. They give us security. They impart standing to us. That's why we treasure them. No miser would hoard gold if gold couldn't buy stuff. It's not the gold that matters. It's what the gold can do, what it represents. In the same way, whatever your wealth is, it's not the thing itself. It's what it represents, what it could do for you that is the trap. It's not money itself. It's what money does, what money signifies. And if you're looking for these things in your own life, if you're wondering where are the treasures where your heart is anchored, the question you have to ask yourself is, what are the things you cannot imagine losing? What are the things that you couldn't dream of sacrificing, even if you were sacrificing it for God? What are the things that if God said, you've got to give that up? Your response would be, that's too cruel. I don't believe a loving God would ever ask me to do away with this. Those are the things, the things we cannot imagine our lives without that have the potential to be mammon to us. Because as Jesus says, your treasure is where your heart is. If you look for the things that your heart is tied to, the non-negotiables, the things you will not give up, you will find your false idols there. Your treasure is where your heart finds security, where it finds rest, where your sense of self and standing is grounded. Jesus says, don't find security in the things you have because you can lose them. If who you are, if your standing is built on those things, it can all go away. Instead of having your security in those things, he says, it's simple, have your security in the one who gave you those things. Everything that you possess, everything that you look to for security, it came to you from God. So instead of trusting in the thing, Jesus says, trust in the God who gave it to you. That's a good point, Jesus. It's an excellent point. But couldn't we go further than that and say that, that we could do both? Isn't it possible that my heart could rest in God and in wealth? That I could trust God and trust in the things that he's given me together? In fact, wouldn't trusting in the things that God gave me because they're God-given be pious? Wouldn't that be a way to worship him? This is how we justify our, our dual allegiance, our dual nationality. This is how we tell ourselves we could actually serve God and money if we recognize it came from him and we're going to use at least some of it for his glory, then maybe we could do both. And Jesus says, no, no. Serve God, trust in him, and trusting in him means that whatever you have, can be taken away. And it's okay, because you're trusting in him, not in the stuff. Remember, Jesus isn't talking about having. He's talking about serving. He's not talking about having money, not talking about having talents. He's talking about serving them, 
You can have wealth in whatever form without serving it, just as you can have flesh without serving it. The point is to serve God alone, regardless of what you possess. So the problem isn't having it serving. Sacrificing for the sake of wealth instead of sacrificing wealth for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3, Paul talks about this problem in the heart. He describes people who've given into it. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What Paul recognizes is you can be set on earthly things. Your God can be your belly, your appetites, your desires. Or you can set your heart on the things of God, on the life to come, on heaven, as Jesus says. Instead of relying on the things of this life, rely on God instead, but then recognize the way that God provides. God provides day by day. In the wilderness, God sustained his people with manna, this miraculous heavenly bread, and he did it day by day. You couldn't store it up. No one had a storehouse of manna. One day a week, in anticipation of the Sabbath, you could store up a little bit to get you through, but then you were back and the grind of collecting that daily bread. And the reason God did that was for a reason. And he could have said, you're going to be in the wilderness 40 years, but don't worry, we've got a big barn here, and I'm going to give you 40 years of bread. And you will definitely not have to rely on me, because you'll have what you need. And that's the way we like for God to provide. We see the needs that we have. We would like him to just give us what we need to meet them so that we have no fear, no anxiety, over whether or not he's going to provide. But instead, by design, he supplies day by day. This is the literal origin of daily bread. And it's designed to teach the people to rely not on the bread, but on the one who gives the bread. But every day they pray, give us our daily bread, and they know that it's God's favor that their fortunes rely on, not something that they can hold in their hands, because that can be taken away. When Jesus, in his earthly ministry, speaks of a bread that you can eat and never hunger again, it gets people really excited. They really want to hear more about this bread that would alleviate their hunger until they realize he's talking about himself. Once it becomes clear in John chapter 6, for example, that the bread he's talking about is his body, People are not as interested as they were anymore because what they wanted was a security they could hold in their hands and what they were shown was a spiritual security. And even though it was better, they preferred the other kind of bread. They would have preferred not to have to trust that their needs would be met, but instead to know that their needs would be met. But of course, that's the illusion. Because the thing that gave them the certainty that their needs would be met was actually not secure at all. We pray for daily bread, but we would rather not have to get it day by day. 
And yet God knows what he's doing, and he does it for a reason. We're prone to trust in the stuff, in the money, not the God who gives it to us. And knowing that, God sometimes forces us to rely upon him. Jesus talks in our text about the eye as a lamp of the body. And that's a difficult metaphor for us. It's difficult because it's often understood and even translated anachronistically. When we think about the relationship of light and the eye, we think about it scientifically. Uh, Light comes into the eye and then in some sense illuminates the body. But that's not the way that ancient people thought about this. They thought of it in what we would say is like a more poetic way. For them, it was reversed. The idea was that the light was within and the lamp of the body is what revealed the light that was in. Like the light, as it were, is shining from the eyes. Uh, We still have a sense of of the way they would have talked in expressions like, uh, I knew he was evil. I could see it in his eyes. Right? The idea that, that there's something revealed in the eyes about the inner condition, what Jesus is talking about here. In the parable to the servants in Matthew 20, which we talked about briefly in Sunday school this morning, Jesus, or or rather the master that Jesus is describing, uses the same idiom. This is the story where all the workers show up and they receive the same payment, but some people show up at the beginning of the day and work all day. Other people show up right at the end and work for an hour, but everybody gets paid the same. And so the people who are there from the beginning feel that that's unfair. They protest to the master, and the response of the master is idiomatic. And so it's translated in our modern English Bibles uh, to give us the explanation for what the words mean, not the words themselves. So the ESV translates it as the master say, do you begrudge my generosity? But what Jesus literally says is, is your eye bad because I am good? Is your eye bad because I am good? Because of my goodness and my generosity, is there like a, a, a darkness within that is perceptible in your bad eye? Something along those lines. Trusting in the treasure instead of in the God who provides it is a kind of faulty judgment. It's a kind of bad vision. Right? We're not seeing the world rightly. We think that we can serve God and mammon without sacrificing either one, but we can't. And Jesus says, stop serving money. Find security in God, not in the things that he gives you. You go back to Philippians. In Philippians 4, Paul says this very thing. He describes how he himself learned this lesson. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's how you apply Jesus' words. Whatever your circumstances are, your strength is in the one who gives you strength. Your confidence and trust is in the gift giver, not in the gift. Paul experienced great privation and hardship. The of God who didn't have a jet He didn't have great wealth. He worked on the side to support himself so as not to be a burden to churches that technically should have been supporting him. And yet Paul learns in that a contentment because he's not trusting in the tickets. 
He's not trusting in his income. He's not trusting in his giftedness. He's trusting in God in all circumstances. And as a result, changing circumstances don't have power over him the way they do over us. When things are going well, Paul isn't encouraged beyond bounds and and full of some sort of giddy self-satisfaction. When things are going badly, he's not questioning himself and everything that he's doing and whether it was all for nothing because he's not trusting in those things. He's trusting in the God he serves and the one he follows because he has learned that everything on earth is insecure. If that was as much as we could leave here realizing, though, that would be a pretty grim thing to learn. Everything on earth is insecure. Whatever you're hoping in is ultimately unable to fulfill that hope. Everything can be taken away from you. What a grim lesson to hold on to. The thing is, that's not the full lesson. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Everything on earth is insecure, but you can still have security. That's the message. Even though everything on earth is insecure, you can still have security in Christ. Now, this is a lesson God teaches us in two ways. He teaches us verbally in his word, and he teaches us practically by taking things away from us. One of the things God does to his children when they trust in what they shouldn't trust in, instead of him, he takes our idols from us. He forces us to lose them and to learn how to live without them. And when that happens to you, you can react in one of two ways. When God takes your stuff, you can resent him and you can chase after replacements. You can live your life trying to get stuff back so that you can find that security again. Or you can learn and you can put your trust in him regardless of the things. Jesus isn't saying there's no security. He's not saying there's no security on earth. He's saying there's no security on earth, but there is security in heaven. There is treasure in heaven. And if your heart is set there, you will not be betrayed. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. When we rest in Christ and we serve him, we possess an absolute security and comfort. There's nothing on this earth that you have that cannot be taken away. And in the end, it will all be taken away. Paul says we brought nothing into this world. and It is certain we can carry nothing out. But the good news is there is nothing that can be taken from you, that God cannot restore. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.